Uh, we've been experiencing a strange phenomenon in our home. Um, Emily and I have been working really hard with the boys on not sharing uh, toys. And we have been trying to teach them how when you want a toy, you just go over and get it. And if you don't get it immediately, you, you start throwing fisticuffs, right? And uh, we've been really working hard with the boys on when it's time to get ready for bed to stay like, hey, spend 10 more minutes doing whatever you're doing, no matter how many times we say it. And when it gets time to come in, we want you to throw a fit and throw toys and scream and, and yell. And right, you, you realize that's not realistic, right? What's the, what's the reminder? And Emily and I have been talking about it a lot. Guys, we're sinners. We're raising three sinners in our homes as sinners. Whether you are a parent here, a grandparent, or you've been around young people at all, the reality is it doesn't take long for you to be reminded of the fact that, guess what? We don't have to teach our kids to do wrong. It's like hardwired. It's part of who we are. We are born with a sin nature. And it's a realistic problem. It's a real thing that we have to learn to deal with. How do we handle sin? How do we handle continual disobedience and anger and rage and uh, selfishness and greed and pride and all of these things? We're having to battle those. I don't know if you know it or not, but a study, it's it's a little dated now, but back in 2007, Lifeway interviewed about a thousand students, um, 23, 23 to 30 Asked them, they say, listen, a series of spiritual questions. And what they found was from the ages of 18 to 22, 7 out of 10 18 to 22 year olds left church for a period of at least one year. 7 out of 10. So let's be honest today at the forefront of just saying, hey, listen, we're struggling to disciple people in our homes, in our churches. Let's acknowledge that, hey, guess what, gimmicks and like showy stuff and all the things that maybe we've tried to do aren't working very well. Let's own up to that. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I think about that statistic there and I think back on our days of student ministry and I look out amongst this audience, I don't see many of those kids. And it went I poured into a lot of them. Now, they may be other places, but the reality is I begin to see this and think, man, God, it is a struggle. And the question might become then, well, Blake, is there any hope if 7 out of 10, 18, 22-year-olds are leaving the church? Um, if uh, our children are born with a sin nature and they're, they're mad and they're angry, I mean, is there any hope today? Is there any remedy? Is this a good news? Uh, Paul's going to say there is. He's going to say that there is actually hope for us today. And it's the declaration of the gospel. But here's, here's what you have to catch. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the movement of the Holy Spirit. I know we were just singing a while ago about God, uh, send your presence here, send your Holy Spirit. Listen, I was kind of like, listen, God, I'm not sure we really want that. Um, Isaiah 6, he has a vision of God's glory, and he declares that, woe is me, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Samson's parents, the angel of God comes down, and they're like, dude, we're going to die. We have seen God. Moses asks to see God, and God says, no, Moses, no one can see my glory and live. And John uh, sees in Revelation 1 the resurrected Christ, and he fell at his feet as though dead. So we're crying out for a holy God, but if a holy God shows up, you and I are done for. Unless Christ steps in. That there's a mediator between God and man. There is a Savior. There's a remedy. And so what I want you to see today is, guess what? Today I want you to feel the weight of Scripture today pressing against you. And it's going to be this. You are up against a supernatural enemy trying to communicate to people that are spiritually dead. And it's hopeless unless the Spirit of God steps in. 
And today I want you to leave with this glorious, great, and good news about the power of the Holy Spirit to actually change and transform people. To overcome everything that you're trying to communicate against. You're trying to get through these barriers. You're trying to raise children. You're trying to reach maybe wayward children. You're trying to reach friends, family members, others that just seem resistant and hostile to the gospel. I want you to see that Paul says, listen, there is hope, but it's not in you. It is in the power of God's Holy Spirit through His communicated Word. So today I want you again to feel the weight, the tension of this, the hardness, the hopelessness. And then, as you see the Holy Spirit begin to come up out of the text, you see the power of God at work through His Word. I want you to feel the glorious joy of that, to say, wow, God, all things are indeed impossible, are possible with You. God, Your power is so great that You can do what I could never do. So let's just spend for a few moments here trying to define the Holy Spirit. Paul does, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. We've been walking through it on Wednesday nights. You've been with us. Um, and this text, man, it, I just cannot get past it the last several weeks. And so I just want to show some things to you from it, hopefully encouraging you, empowering you to look toward the power of the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit, right? Well, a lot of times we don't hear much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. He says, listen, uh, we, we've basically forgotten the Holy Spirit. We've exiled Him. Uh, most of us, when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and like God the Holy Word, right? I mean, especially this Bible, we're big on the book. But oftentimes we're terrified the Holy Spirit's going to show up and do something weird or something we're not in control of. And so let's look today to realize who is this third person of the Trinity? Who is this God the Holy Spirit? Listen to what Paul says. He says he's all-powerful. Why do we say that? Well, look, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes and he says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, he says, and power. So he's saying, hey, listen, the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how, how powerful is the Holy Spirit? Well, look what he says. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the what? Power of God. You see what he just did there? He equates the Spirit's power with being equal to God's power. He says, I want you to know how powerful the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is as powerful as God is. God, who is all powerful, who is uh, nothing is too difficult for him. He says, listen, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's who's at work when Paul says we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Further, look what else Paul says. Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to know that not only is the Holy Spirit all powerful, just like God, the Holy Spirit is all present. Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 2. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even, look what he says, the depths of God. Well, if the Spirit can search the depths of God, and God is an infinite being, by very definition, to be able to search out an infinite being, you must be infinite yourself. So the Holy Spirit has this all-presence, that He is not limited by space and time, that He is an infinite being too. He Himself is able to go and search everything of God. So this all-powerful, all-present, and then further. Look at me, verse 11. And all-knowing. Look at who the Spirit is, verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God. That's a pretty deep subject. Thoughts of God. A God who knows everything, right? So we're talking about the comprehension of that. Then look what he says, though. There is actually one who can... There's an exception. Of who can comprehend the thoughts of God? And he says, listen, you want to know who that is? It's the Spirit of God. He says, listen, there's a God, yes, who knows everything. And the Holy Spirit is so great that the Holy Spirit absolutely knows everything as well. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. And you say, Blake, why is this so important? Well, you're going to see today in the text what the Spirit's doing. And at the end, we're going to come to some glorious, great news. 
that you're going to encounter in the fact of who the Holy Spirit is and what He is doing in you. But let's be honest. Um, Paul's going to tell us today that, hey, listen, the, the wisdom of this world, um, it says it's, like, it, it's doomed to pass away. It's temporary. He talks about the fact that God's wisdom, he calls it a secret or hidden wisdom. And so the reality is, listen, we, we can be honest today and say we don't know everything. Right? Maybe there's things that you believe that maybe you figured out at some point weren't actually correct. What about ninjas? Everybody here believe ninjas dress in black, right? Right? You kind of always think that, right? Imagine it. Actually, it's not true at all, right? Ninjas dress just like everyone else. So guess what? You don't know they're a ninja. Look around. Could be a ninja next to you, right? Huh? It's one of those things we think, though, right? What about this? Uh, you ever heard about a missing person report? How long do you have to wait to file one of those? 24 hours, right? You always heard that? No, wrong again. If your kid goes missing, call somebody, right? It's not true at all. You don't have to wait 24 hours to file a missing person report. But again, this is something we thought, we believe, we've heard. Not actually true. What about the universe? You can see there, this is a shot from the Hubble uh, Space Scope. I've asked uh, Mark Wells. He's kind of helped me a little bit on insight. Here's one of these galaxy cluster, Abel 370. It contains several hundred galaxies tied together by the mutual pull of gravity. Why is that? Well, because up to 100 years ago, astronomers thought there was only one galaxy. Which one? What galaxy do you live in? The Milky Way. Guess what? Now they believe that it's up to 170 billion galaxies in our universe. Billion. So, man, listen, a little bit off there, right? Furthermore, until about 1929... It was always believed that the universe was static. That means it was the same and it existed forever. But in fact, they discovered around 1929 there that it actually had a beginning and it's still expanding. Beginning? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, what? God created what? Heavens and the earth. So let's be honest and say, listen, we don't always know everything. Could you be just willing to say that day, I don't always know everything. Or sometimes science, we catch up and we discover, hey, listen, we thought this was so true, but we become wrong on it. That's what Paul's going to say here today. Listen to what he says. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who says, who are doomed to pass away. He says, listen, the wisdom of this world is temporary. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He says, listen, I want you to realize that the wisdom of this age is temporary. I mean, it looks great to follow what the latest celebrity is doing, or when you go to that checkout line and you're looking and trying to see, like, okay, what diet are they doing, and what are they thinking, and how do they see end times, and how do they understand all of this, and we want to get all of that because what do they think, celebrities and all these people that are really smart? And he says, listen, I want you to realize that the wisdom of this age, it's doomed to pass away. It's temporary. He says, but there's a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Look what he says. He says, which God decreed, look what he says here, before the ages, for our glory. He says, listen, God's wisdom is actually for your good. And you say, Blake, how is it for our glory? Well, Ephesians 1 says that you and I, even though we are dead in sin, we're apart from God. It says that it's, it's God's good pleasure and desire to save you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, that his son would pay the penalty for your sins. And then three times, Paul says in Ephesians 1, that this is to the praise of God's glorious grace. To the praise of God's glorious grace. To the praise of God's glorious grace. 
And so when we see this, we realize, hey, listen, this secret hidden wisdom of God, it's for our glory. Why? Because it's the redemption of our souls. It is your soul being redeemed. It's you being saved and spared from the judgment of God. He says, listen, this secret and hidden wisdom of God, it always points us back to Jesus. God's wisdom points us back to Christ. You have to realize that, listen, if it's indeed God's wisdom is about our glory, then we have to say, hey, listen, if the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away, then God's wisdom can't be focused on what the world's wisdom is. And in fact, as parents here, as mothers, as dads, as as grandparents, we've got to begin to realize, hey, listen, are we leveraging our lives in a way to point our children and others toward worldly wisdom or in light of spiritual wisdom? Are our lives so organized and and built up that everything is about the earthly wisdom, about earthly gain, about building your kingdom here, about all these things that we can establish. Or in light of God's Word and the fact that it's about an eternal glory that indeed it's secret and hidden, all right? It's not always apparent. It's kind of hard to live your life and leverage your life in that way here and now. But he says, I want you to know it's for our glory. Maybe you're here and you're wondering today, like, what can I do? Do I really have any responsibility in this? Do I have any impact? Well, statistics say that you do. Remember back to our our 7 out of 10? Well, it says of the 7 out of 10 that leave the church between the ages of 18 and 22 for a period of at least one year, statistics indicate that 2 out of those 10 total, right? So 35% of that 7 have never returned. So we're losing 2 out of 3. And listen, even those that do return, oftentimes it's very sporadic. We're losing them. And you say, well, well, Blake, if we're losing them, then, then, then what can I do? Do I have any influence? That's oftentimes, right? I, I met recently with, with a parent, and, and they, they were broken. They were weeping in my presence over their child. And they began to ask me, said, listen, what, what can we do? I don't know if we're having any impact. I'm not sure it's making any difference what I say. And again, this was in the church, outside the church, all right? I hope that all your communications don't happen just inside these. I hope you're communicating with people outside these walls. We're living the gospel. Wherever you are. But it's interacting with this lady and, and we're having this discussion. And, and, and I said, she said, I'm not sure that what I say, it makes any difference. And I said, you're wrong. I'll never forget when I was living straightward in my life. My parents were, were talking to me about the truth. Blake, are you going to church? Blake, are you? Now, I may not have been living it, but man, I was hearing it. It would follow me on Thursday nights and Friday nights and what would your parents say if they knew you were here? What's God think? So you think, moms and dads, some of you think you're having no impact whatsoever. I would tell you from my own personal testimony, you're having an impact. If you don't realize it, in fact, this very study indicates that. What impacted 60% of those 18 to 22 year olds to now return for the 23 to 30 age range? Why did they come back? 39% said parents or family. The influence of parents or family had such an impact on them that it brought them back. The others, 21%. So again, 60%. The other 21% said friends or acquaintances. So you think that you're not having an impact on people? The, the people that have returned to church say, in fact, you are. It's the parents. It's the family members. It's your friends. So I would encourage you today to keep sharing, to keep asking, to keep compelling. But I want to remind you today, listen, it's not in your own power. And so that's what I want to bring you next. I want you to realize today how much, as a parent, as a spiritual mentor, again, listen, when you're here today and you think, well, Mother's Day, I'm not a mother, Blake, or whatever, man, listen, 
the text is, is not only about biological mothers, mothers, it's constantly about spiritual mothers. It's about being a spiritual disciple to those that God puts in your path. So, you, yeah, you may have multitudes of children and you may have none today, but God will put people in your path that you can be a spiritual discipler to. So how does this happen? Right? I want, I want this to humble you today. Well, look what he says. First is our faith, it must rest in God. Look what happens here again. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 2. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. Right? So why Paul, the spirit's power, right? Why not these wise words? Why not sound really good? Look what he says here. I love this. So that. Right? So that tells you. Here, he's going to tell you why. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but what? Power of God. What if your children's faith rested in the power of God and not your words? At some point, that's going to have to happen. At some point, your children are going to leave home. And I had to realize that my parents' faith, as great as it was, I, I could no longer... That wasn't for me, right? I, it wasn't enough in the club. It wasn't enough in the dorms. It wasn't enough when pornography is on the Internet. I needed something of my own. So moms and dads, grandparents, spiritual mentors today, what we must realize is, is that we desperately need a work of the Spirit's power. Why? So their faith will ultimately rest in God and not in your ability as a parent or a spiritual disciple to keep it up enough. You're not strong enough. You weren't created for that. Why? Because you're not all-knowing. You're not all-powerful. You're not all-present. Breathe. Relax. You're not created for a God that only a job only God could do. So listen, Paul says the Spirit's work is so great in salvation that their faith begins to rest not in you, but in the power of God. Wow. As we share the gospel daily, man. What if you could share the gospel and people could leave resting not in your words, but in the power of God? In John chapter 6. The text picks up and Jesus is there. And the context is very interesting. I think most of us would catch it. In John chapter 6, it says that Jesus was healing all the sick. Anybody here ever been sick before? Like, I mean, pretty sick. Like, you couldn't get over it. Had somebody you loved and cared about was pretty sick. How far would you go to take them if you heard someone was there that could touch them and heal them? You, you would jump across the pond, right? I mean, if you need to go another continent, I mean, you would go wherever you need to go. If you had to put them on your shoulders, on your back, you would carry them miles, mountains, through valleys, through swamps, whatever. John 6 says that Jesus was there and he was healing all the sick. And therefore, guess what? There was massive crowds. Now, the estimate is 5,000 men, but that doesn't include women and children. And we can realize, again, given the context, if he's healing everybody that's sick, there has to be tons and tons of people. He asked the disciples, he says, hey, guys, listen, we're going to feed these folks, right? We're going to have a meal ministry, guys. We're going to feed these guys. And they're like, hey, Jesus, listen, we could all work for eight months. We could all put our money together. And, dude, they're going to barely even get like a sniff of bread. Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they said, well, actually, there's this little boy here, and he's got a Hebrew Happy Meal. And he's got five loaves and two fish in his little Hebrew Happy Meal. And um, he's bringing it to us right now. But, like, what are we going to do with all those? He said, listen, just get everybody to sit down. And then Jesus does something absolutely amazing with that little Hebrew happy meal. It says he, he blessed it, he gave thanks to the Lord, and they began to pass it out. So much so that after all these thousands upon thousands of people had eaten, it says he took up 12 basketfuls. Why? Well, I think there's a lot of teaching moments from that. But one thing that really stands out given our context today, I think Jesus wanted the disciples to remember that they were up against an impossible task. 
one that they could never do in their own strength, one you're going to face things in your life, you don't have the resources to do it. You don't have the influential power to get it done. You don't have the money to get it done. The doctor can't heal this one. I mean, you don't have the resources or the ability. And what are you going to do in that moment? I think Jesus was reminding us and reminding them that you are going to have to get on your knees and cry out to a Heavenly Father, Please, Lord, I cannot raise this child. God, I don't have the strength to do this. Oh, God, I can't overcome this addiction in my life, Lord. I'm too weak, God. Please help me. Feeding five thousands and the multitudes of others that were there. We're reminded of how great and powerful the Spirit is. Secondly, look at this. We need to know God's secret wisdom. Right? And what He's prepared. And guess what? How do people begin to realize what the Spirit's actually doing? The Spirit has to reveal it. Okay, this was this is like one of those big moments for me. Because for so long, and I still battle it some, but... I think it rides all on me, like to get you down front, to get you converted, to convert that person when I'm at basketball and we're talking on the sideline. Like, man, if I just be persuasive enough, if I can just hit them with the right verse today, if I could just say it with enough persuasion and passion, if I could maybe just pray enough, if I could just do this enough, if I can go visit enough, if I can make another phone call, if I could just send another text, if I would have just been there sooner, if I could be there longer, if I could... Wow. Exhausting. I'm sure some of you are there. We've got to realize that it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Do we pray? Do we labor? Do we do? Absolutely. But we must realize and rest in the power of the Spirit. Look what he says. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And then he says, these things. What things? Well, the things that God's prepared. Look what he says. These things God has Revealed to us how? Through the Spirit. He says the Spirit does such a work. The Spirit brings revelation that you and I could never do. You say, maybe here, like, Blake, hey, give me something practical. Like, this is awesome about the Holy Spirit, but, like, how do I communicate with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you ever wonder that. Like, does the Spirit actually talk? I mean, how do I know when the Spirit's talking to me? How do I, uh, maybe I'll throw just three things at you, maybe quickly. One is, and hopefully if you've been here very long, you would say this would be your answer. I hope and pray it would be. The primary way in which the Holy Spirit will speak to you or God will speak to you is through His Word. Through His Word. Wow, look at this. Verse 18 of Ephesians 5, Paul says, listen guys, be filled with the Spirit. Then he kind of gives us a little identification of Spirit-filled life. He says, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. There's thanksgiving Right, and everything. And then look, look at this kind of this parallel account. In verse 16 of Colossians 3, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And he says this, Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thankfulness in your heart to God. But look what he says, though. How does this come about? He doesn't say, Be filled with the Spirit here. Look what he says, verse 16 of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's a strong connection between the Word indwelling you and being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, what I would tell you is if you want to learn to hear the Spirit's voice, learn to hear the Word of God. Because here's a beautiful moment. The Spirit of God will never communicate to you something contrary to this Word. Ever. If you hear something that's contrary to this word, you know it's not of the Spirit. All right? And listen, I've had people that have battled me. Like, literally want to, I mean, they've been very angry with me. They have been certain that God has told them something. And I'm like, dude, listen, 
I, I know you're saying that. I know you believe that like after this life, there's going to be another chance. But God's word says it's clear. It's not. Hebrews 9.27 says we're destined to die once and after that to face judgment. I know, but I had this vision or I had this moment. And I want to tell you, as Paul said, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. You've been deceived because the Spirit of God will never communicate to you something contrary to the Word of God. But look what that reminds us. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, there is a strong correlation to how filled we are with the Spirit is how desperately we are seeking God and His Word. Secondly, again, I know we've got to move for time, but Acts 13, look what it is. You say, Blake, I want the Spirit to speak to me. Look what happens here. Acts 13, the church is gathered just like maybe a morning like this, and they're worshiping the Lord. And it says, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. And He says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Obviously, he's not speaking directly to Barnabas and Saul. He said, which I've called you. They fast and pray more and they lay their hands and they send them off. So the Holy Spirit speaks amongst the body of Christ. And this kind of leads us to the third one. So again, if you want, hey, I want to be a part of the Spirit of God moving. Well, listen, God says, listen, it's a part of my body, right? In fact, look, look, maybe this is the third one. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's that mean? He says, listen, if anyone's in Christ, they have at least one spiritual gift. Here's a, maybe just a quick one. Verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, another the utterance of knowledge. He says, listen, again, look what he says there. These are through the Spirit and according to the same Spirit. So the Spirit's at work giving these, right? The Spirit, it's what he says, the Spirit's giving them. So, if you're again, you're asking, hey, Blake, I want the Spirit of God to speak to me. Well, look to the Word, come to a community of believers, and then guess what? You may even fact that amongst the believers, there's people that already have a spiritual gift of wisdom and knowledge that can now help you. Right? So, what, what am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about, alright? So, imagine today that you go out and you're eating with your family, alright? And maybe you've got a cousin or somebody you don't see very often, and you've been dealing a long time with, should I talk to them, should I not, should, I'm not sure what to say. And during lunch today, you began to feel this inner, like, man, you need to share with them today. You need to share with them today. You need to share with them today. Well, guess what I would start to do really quickly with think, okay, I mean, I've got to be subjective to that. All right, God, is this me or you? But then I start thinking about, hey, God obviously desires that everyone would hear the gospel I know that it's for God's glory for them to hear the good news of the gospel. I know that God loves them. I love them. So these things I start to do, again, when I'm having moments of deciphering, is it me? Is it the Holy Spirit? I'm checking against God's Word, but also in times when I have, like, big decisions to make, I don't want to make them just by myself. I want to ask others that maybe have this gift of knowledge and wisdom or people that I've seen that have walked with God a long time, and I come back and say, hey, listen, here's where I am. Here's kind of what I'm seeing in the Scriptures how do you interpret this? How might you guide me maybe as a father in this decision? Or what would you say would be the wise thing for me to do? So again, if we're wanting to hear the Spirit, again, he says, these things are revealed through the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's telling us in 1 Corinthians 2. We need to learn to look to God's Word if we want Him to speak. To surround ourselves with other believers. And then, as we begin to spend time alone with God and the Spirit is speaking to us, we begin to recognize more and more, and then we check it against God's Word, and we check it against other believers. They continually work together. Wow, look, there's Josiah the other day. We're, we're out running, and Josiah grabs this little phone here, and before I know it, I hear him talking. He's having a conversation. He says, Mommy, what are you doing? And uh, he says, Oh, you're out running? Well, we're out running with Daddy, too. And, Mommy, where are you? And 
You're at the van? Mommy, you are so fast. What's the point of that? Even at the age of four, we realize that communication is not one way, but two way. When it comes time to hear from God and talk to God in prayer, it's not just about, listen, it's not just about you have this ear, this piece here for your mouth, blah, 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 God, 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 God. Be quiet. Give him a chance to speak. Just be still in his presence. And again, allow the word of God to guide you, to help you there as you seek him in his word. Furthermore, listen, this one's, this one's going to be challenging. The natural person, that's the person without Christ, cannot understand the things of God. This is a challenge, all right? But you need to realize it if you're going to be out sharing the gospel. You need to realize this. Paul says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So a natural person is a person that's apart from Christ. He says, These things are in fact folly to him, so that they don't accept them. And he says, They're folly. And then he says this statement, and he is not able to understand them. Why, Paul? He says, because. You want to know why? They're spiritually discerned. You've got to catch this. If you're going to be out sharing the gospel with family, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, you're going to have to realize that you're communicating with natural people that don't want to accept the things of God. In fact, he says they are not able to understand them. And he says it's not going to happen unless the Spirit does a mighty work. And you're not capable of that. I hope and pray that leads you to a place of saying, God, I need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, please, God. I'm powerless apart from you. Please, Lord. Wow, I just throw a couple of scriptures at you. Ephesians 2 and 1. He says that you're God. He said, we're dead in trespasses and sins. You're speaking to someone that's spiritually dead. Further, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, he says, the God of this age. Who's the God or the God of this world? That's Satan. He says, you know what Satan's doing? He's blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them what? From seeing the light of the gospel. Further with me. Jesus says in Matthew 13, after you told the story of the four soils, he says in verse 19 of Matthew 13, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so you're out sharing the kingdom, you're sharing the good news about Jesus, look what he says, and does not understand it. What's happened here, Jesus? He says, the evil one, right? Same as the God of this world, comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. What am I trying to share from you from the scriptures? I want you to realize that you're communicating with a natural person that's, according to this word, spiritually dead. And that you are against a supernatural enemy. And you're not capable of it. Do you feel that? Do you see it? That's like a humbling place to be. But now the glorious good news of this is, is that there is a Holy Spirit who is capable there is a Holy Spirit who can do what you can never do. There's a Holy Spirit. Look what he says. This is so beautiful. Look, you feel that for a moment. You feel that like, oh man, Blake, that feels awful. That's not encouraging. That's terrible. What are we going to do in light of this? Look what he says. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but what? The Spirit who is from God. Do you see that? You have received the Spirit who is from God. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. God indwells you. He said, that's what you've received. 
He's your power. It's not you. It's Him in you. He's your strength to witness. He's the one that's going to bring your children back. He's the one that's going to open the eyes and the heart of that co-worker. He's the one that's going to communicate today at that dinner table. It doesn't rise and fall on you. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Church, we need God's Spirit. Oh man, but listen, here's what's so beautiful about it. The Holy Spirit loves them more than you ever will. How much? That God would send forth His Son in His great love to die for them. There's someone that loves them more than you, Mom. There's someone that loves them and cares for you more, more than you, friend. It is God who in His great love would send His Son to die. And that's the Spirit that's now at work in you to share the Gospel. That's why you feel this burning desire. I've got to say something today. Why? It's God in you saying, let me out! Let me share the good news of Christ! So he says, listen guys, I want you to know that you have received the Spirit of God. I don't know if you've ever felt powerless, exhausted, Right? I mean, just felt like a failure. I mean, those are things that I, I, I deal with, right? Emily can tell you a lot of times on Sundays we drive home. She's like, Blake, we're not going to do it today. Right? I'm just like, man, I, I feel like a failure. I mean, just those things. It's a reminder so often that I'm trying to do it in my own strength. Now, are you and I to run the race? Absolutely. Paul says in Hebrews 12, run the race with perseverance. You are running, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying, hey, listen, you can sit by your sweet by and by, your blessed assurance, and do nothing. Don't, don't hear that, right? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We labor with all that is in us. Paul says, I'm like a mother in labor and childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So I'm not saying that we don't have any responsibility. Absolutely not. We are working with all. But maybe this visual will give you a demonstration or, or maybe what I'm trying to get at, what Paul's saying here. This is this year's Cow Days race. I would have done last year's Cow Day race, but um, when my boys came across the finish line at that point, they already had their shirts off and they were doing helicopters. And it was, um, it was, it was crazy. Uh, if you ask my boys today, River, did you run in Cow Days last year? Huh? You did, right? Ran in Cow Days. Is that your picture right there? Is that you? In the Cow Days race, right? That's you, isn't it? It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. He's embarrassed. But here's the reality. His feet never touched the pavement once. But he ran the race. Guess who he was depending upon to get up the hills and down the hills and when he would say, Daddy, pass that guy. And if you're out there, there's some brother. I cropped you out, man. It's all right. There's some guy back here. I cropped him out. That's all right. Because Riff said, Daddy, pass that guy. So we put the jets on. They didn't run the race in their strength, guys. Some of you have been trying to run this race in your strength, and that's not what God has ever intended. You can't climb that mountain yourself. You're not strong enough to face those giants in and of your own strength or your own gusto or pull yourself by your bootstraps again. Listen, I get it. I'm excited. I'm passionate too. Let's go storm the gates of hell with a water pistol, and that runs out, we'll spit. I'm with you, all right? Let's go wide open. I'm ready. But let's do it in the power of God's Spirit. Let's let the power of God push us up these hills. Let's let God's Spirit guide us through these lanes and move back and forth. That we might have joy looking like that. Like, God, this is awesome! It's awesome. That's what Paul says. He says, listen guys, you've received the Spirit of God that, what? That you might understand the things that God has freely given you. The understanding 
for them to recognize, oh man, this makes sense, oh, I need Jesus. He says, listen, this understanding doesn't just happen. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, right? That. The Spirit is at work showing them what they have in Christ, of how rich Christ is, of how great it is to be redeemed, how beautiful it is to be forgiven, of how much they need God in light of eternity. That's a supernatural work. You cannot do it. We are not designed or created for this. We're carrying a weight that we could never do. You can't save your babies. Mamas and daddies, you can't save your babies. Oh, but there is a God who loves them infinitely more than you and I ever will. Let's trust His power. Let's depend upon His strength to bring it about. I know it's time to close, so let's just finish with this. Oh, again, let me pull this part maybe out. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, look what he says, but taught by the Spirit. Paul says we are interpreting spiritual truth. So Paul is communicating, but not in his own strength. Look what he says. Even the great apostle Paul was never doing his own strength. He says, listen, we are imparting, we are interpreting. But he said it's ultimately what the Spirit is teaching. Wow, look at this. Look at this beautiful moment. I don't have it on the screen, but verse 26 of 1 John 2 talks about the deception of the Antichrist. It says, listen, there's many Antichrists in the world. Be careful that you're not deceived. And then look what he says, verse 27, this is beautiful. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. This anointing, the Spirit. All right, so we're talking about the Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. What's Paul saying? Well, really quick application. Today, if you're here and you've been in Christ for a year, two years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 80 years, whatever, you ought to get down on your face today and praise God that the Spirit of God that is in you has been throughout your life saying, that's not the truth. That's not the way to Christ. Don't believe that. That's a lie. That's deception. That relationship, it appears to satisfy, but it actually won't. That moment, I know it looks temporary, but that's going to lead you astray. No, 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 back over here, back to Christ, back to the Word, back to the truth, back to the church, back to the submission to those that God's putting authority over you. If you've experienced that and you're here today and you're still remaining in Christ today, you ought to get on your face and knees and say, God, thank you that your Spirit has been at work. He has been teaching me. He has been helping me from being deceived, protecting me, watching over me. And brother, look at this, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He says, listen, you've been taught by God. I don't know about you, but as a parent... I already start thinking, man, what's it going to be like when my boys move away? I want to be there with them, right? I'm already thinking about River, like what's happening when he's over at first grade? What's he hearing? What's he thinking? I wish I was there to say, River, that's not the truth, dude. Or, hey, River, don't invest in that. That's not, listen, River, that relationship could be dangerous, won't we? But here's the beauty of it. If we point our children and everyone that we love and care about and all those that we represent Christ to, if we point them to God, then look what he says here. There is one that's going to be with them that's greater than you. There's going to be one that's going to be with your children and with your family and the ones you're trying to disciple who has all knowledge. Who's not deceived at any moment, who has all power, who will never go tired or weary, who will never give up and get frustrated and just throw in the towel on them. One who can guide them into all truth. Listen, that's the Holy Spirit. Today are you seeing how desperately you need the Spirit? How desperately your children and family need the Spirit? So Paul finishes by saying this. For who hasn't understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
Blake, why, why should I point my children to Christ? Maybe I'll just close with this. Philippians 2, he says, This is the mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. What's it look like, Blake, to have the mind of Christ? Why might I further point my family and my life toward Christ constantly? Why might I leverage everything we do and adjust our schedule to put us more in position to hear God's Word and submit to His authority? Because this is the mind of Christ. Look what he says here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Can you imagine your children emptying themselves? By taking the form of a servant. We're trying to teach our children to be servants, but he says the mind of Christ will empower them to actually want to be a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Humility. Can you imagine the people that you love and care about? A true, genuine humility not fostered by you or your discipline or trying to like form them into this shape. Himself by becoming obedient. Obedience. It's a work of God. It's the mind of Christ. Even, he says, to death on a cross. See, ultimately the cross is the only one that can provide you access to God's Holy Spirit today. Christ is the only one that can bring you into God's presence to cleanse you that you could receive God's Spirit by faith. See, everything today is contingent upon Christ and your response to Him. As much as I want to compel you to come forward and say, experience Christ, be set free, have your new nature, have your eyes open, I can't make it happen. But I can compel and point you toward the one who does. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who lived a sinless, perfect life. Who died on the cross, not for his sins, but for yours. For mine. Taking God's judgment and anger. That in the presence of God, by grace, through faith, you could be declared guiltless and free. Therefore, God could send forth his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. That these things that we've just shared about and walked through in his word could become part of who you now are. The glorious good news of the Holy Spirit in you. Moms and dads, this is what your children need. And the good news is it's not on you to bring it about. Yes, we pray. Yes, we disciple. But we are relying upon the Holy Spirit to do the work. If you're exhausted and weary today, come to Christ. Commit your family back to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm entrusting them to you. Use me how you will. I want to be in the stroller, God, but I don't want to do it in my own strength anymore. I can't. Let's begin praying. Let's begin fasting, saying, God, we are communicating with natural people and we are against the supernatural enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to snatch away what is sown, but God, you are greater. God, your power can overcome that. Lord, we want to see people saved and set free. We want to see them redeemed by you. Today, All of this is available in Christ. The beauty of the gospel. The hope of Christ. I hope and pray today that God spoke to you in some way, that He communed with you in some way, that the Spirit revealed something to you today that by His power will continue to transform you and propel your life forward. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank You. Lord, I thank You most of all that I stand on the fact that in my best attempt, God, to communicate how great and glorious you are and how much I fell short of it. 
God, that it's all true. Say so today, hey God, everything that is in your word is actually true. Your spirit is that great God. God, I'm not the Wizard of Oz today trying to stand behind some curtain and puff up some God and, and try to build Him up so people would believe and say, oh, that's great, I want to worship that God. No, God, you're really that great. I don't have to stand behind the curtain, God. God, I can say, here you are. Here you are in your beauty and all of your glory and of your love. And even though we're sinful and we're shamed and we're guilty, you let us come to you because of your Son and you send your Spirit to live inside of us to change and transform us. God, Thank you that you are my God, that I'm not worshiping some statue or some imagination of men or something I've created of my own self. Oh, God, thank you. I have the true living God to worship. Thank you, Lord, that I can preach the true gospel of your son of eternal weight and glory. God, I am not able in of myself, but Lord, by your spirit today. Oh, God, would you just see fit, Lord, to speak into the darkness? God, would your word go forth? You said your word is like a hammer hitting the hard places of our heart. Oh, God, would you speak to the hard places of people's hearts? Holy Spirit, overcome the power of the enemy. Remove the blinders from eyes. Let Satan have no authority to snatch the word that's been sown here today. May you do a, a work, God, that is beyond what I could ask or think or even imagine. Please, God. Please, God, speak to people. Please, God, change us. I trust this in the beauty of the gospel, for the glory of your Son, and by the power of your Spirit. I ask it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.